from a very young age, we're groomed in a sense as women to want to be liked. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of at the root of people pleasing is we want to be liked. When I realized as a professional in the workplace that this was actually a potentially limiting value, it was one of those shifts in me. It was one of those aha moments where it was very much a defining moment because I would never have identified as a people pleaser, which is hilarious now that I am so aware of it. But there it was that I had this limiting value and I could start to look back in my career and see how that had come into lots of decisions. I'm Jill Avey, a career success coach, and this is Sister Smart Leadership, the show that explores how women can rise from director to vice president and beyond by fully leaning into their feminine energy as their biggest advantage. Let's get you one step closer to the recognition and promotion you deserve. Imagine living a life that you choose, not because you feel pressured to do any of it, but because you've decided intentionally to say yes to the things that you're doing in life. The way you spend your time, your money, your energy is all in line with what you really want and where you want to go. And now imagine that you are even more successful than you were before you've lived like this, that setting your boundaries and saying no to things that you don't want actually helped you go farther and faster towards your aims. So if you're tired of always bumping up against burnout, feeling anxious, tired, and stressed, and maybe even a little resentful because you never get time for yourself, you are going to want to stay tuned to, for this episode because we are going to talk about saying no in a way that's freeing rather than detrimental to your career. And you can apply these same tactics to your personal life when you log off. So this has been my journey too. I used to say yes to everything. And I had a lot of pride in being the type of person that got stuff done. And I worked very hard to be extremely efficient so that I could do a lot. Add to this, as someone with ADHD, I also have a brain that produces a million ideas a minute. And I have a lot of energy and enthusiasm for exploring those new ideas and solving complex problems. I'm what's called a multi-potentialite, which is someone who has a lot of interest. So the result was that I was caught in the busyness trap for a good part of my corporate career. And I got caught in a cycle of giving too much and burning out because I didn't understand the concepts that we we're going to explore today. So these days I have several structures in place that help me put careful consideration to the things that are going onto my plate. And while I still like to be busy, I understand these dynamics that we're going to talk about today. And they've helped me and our clients here at Sister Smart create balance between work and personal life that I didn't always have throughout my corporate career. And I help my clients through this inner module called Career Growth Accelerator, because when you get this piece right, your career can really take off. So we are so lucky today to have a special guest on this episode who is an expert in leadership development, having spent 20 years as a training and development professional in Toronto, and she's an advocate for saying no. Sandy Reynolds has a five-part email series called Disappoint More People, and she's going to share her joy with saying no with us today. So welcome, Sandy. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me today. You're so welcome. So first, I wanted to cover a couple of little things. When it comes to saying no at work, I like to start with the outside influences, uh, as we often talk about here, because as women, we have to understand these because when we understand them, they lose power um, over us and it makes it possible for us to have more choices. Let's talk about these first before we get into the actual tactics of saying no. First, I want to revisit one of the unhelpful habits that we talked about in episode 16, which is people pleasing and explore how they relate to the topic of saying no. So people pleasing 
is deeply rooted in how women are raised. Uh, if we think back to how women were raised for hundreds, even thousands of years, we had very little power over who we married. We didn't have our own money or our own bank accounts. We didn't have the right to get divorced. We were plucked out of our own families and deposited into our husband's families. And so this was a vital skill to be pleasing in order to fit into a new family and create stability in our lives. So thankfully, the situation has drastically changed in North America, but cultural norms change at a glacial pace. And so there are threads of all of this history that we all still feel very much in our everyday life. So we still feel a responsibility to make others feel good. And breaking out of that habit can be really difficult. So Sandy, tell us more about people-pleasing and some of the downsides of why we don't want to people-please. Thanks, Jill. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about people-pleasing in my life. And there are a few things that stand out for me when I think about people-pleasing. The first thing is the whole part of people-pleasing that can lead to groupthink. So there's a video called The Road to Abilene. And I remember when I was doing my master's in leadership, we watched this video when we were talking about groupthink. And in the video, there's a family, they're sitting on the front porch on a hot day and uh, somebody suggests they drive to the next town because there's lights set in the 50s, so there's no air conditioning in the car. They drive to the next town for ice cream. And somebody says, okay, yeah, let's do it. And then the whole group decides to go and they, they drive this sweltering hot day. They come home, they're back on the front porch and somebody says, I didn't that they didn't want to go to begin with, but they had only gone because the other person had said they wanted to go. And they were like, well, I didn't want to go either. I just said, okay, because they suggested it and I didn't want them to feel bad. And the whole thing became this event that everybody was exhausted by. And that's what happens when we don't say no, when we're so stuck into pe in people pleasing and we go along with things that we don't want to go along with. But other people are going along because we go along, especially in a leadership role. If we say yes, there's an influence that we have that we need to be aware of. And that can lead other people to say yes as well. So that's the first thing. The next thing is integrity and trust. And when we say yes to things because that's our default without really thinking about it or because we want to go with the flow or we don't want to be perceived as a difficult person, whatever it is, it can actually erode how people feel about us and whether or not they trust us and because they might even have a sense that we haven't really bought into something, but we're going along with it. And I went back to your episode on executive presence recently. It's such a good episode. And I think if people want to uh, complement this with another episode, that would be a good one to go back to if they're just new and jumping in here. Mary Shapiro was your guest, and she talked about the um, confidence over competence piece. And that's actually one of the third things with people pleasing is it erodes confidence and executive presence is all about people feeling confident and you feeling confident and people pleasing and going along with things is one fast way to erode your, your integrity and your own personal confidence. It sure is. I even have a client story about that. I have a client that she 
has a lot of integrity and very good at her job, but she found we have this um, process where you interview some stakeholders as part of your um, leadership program. And when she did that, she found out that she had a trust problem because she wasn't speaking her mind and her team. Sometimes it would eventually come out how she thought about something and she thought she was going along, going with the flow, like you were talking about, where she was trying to be a team player and going along with things. But what they really wanted was to hear her actual opinion on things. And they didn't want to hear about it later. They wanted to hear about it at the time. And so she worked really hard on speaking up more. And that's totally turned around her situation and really strengthened her relationships on her team. So it, it absolutely has happened in real life for our clients. <laughs> yeah. So for me, I have my own story around this. And what happened for me was, and why people-pleasing has become such a, a big theme in my work. It, I was doing, when I was doing my master's degree, we had to do something, uh, a values assessment. It was a little different process than the one I, ones I've done in the past where you circle your values and then you narrow it down. It was um, called Barrett's Values Assessment. And you looked at the organizational values, and then you looked at your own values. And this was all done online uh, through questions. And you didn't know your results until the actual course when they gave them out. And then there was a third piece that talked about your values in use. So there was sort of your spouse values and then your values in use. So I got my assessment back and, you know, we all tore, you know, when you do those assessments in a training course and everybody tears theirs open to see what their results were. And what came back for me was a potentially limiting value of needing to be liked or wanting to be liked. And I think that's what's behind a lot of people pleasing. And you talked about that earlier about how that, you know, from a very young age, we're groomed in a sense to, as women to want to be liked. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of at the root of people pleasing is we want to be liked. And so when I realized as a professional in the workplace that this was actually a potentially limiting value, it really you know, it was one of those shifts in me. It was one of those aha moments where I, it was very much a defining moment because I would never have identified as a people pleaser, which is hilarious now that I am so aware of it. And, um, but there it was that I had this limiting value and I could start to look back in my career and see how that had come into lots of decisions. It could be little decisions like just deferring to someone else, you know, like saying, you know, something like, I don't really, I don't care, you know, whatever you want to do, I know that, you know, I can go along with this decision when really I had an opinion and it wasn't the one that the rest of the group or the team was going with. So it was great. It was painful and it was really a turning point for me. So how did that turn out for you? What what shifted for you as a result of that? I started speaking up more or disagreeing more in meetings with my team. So if somebody suggested something and I thought there was a better alternative or even an equally valid alternative or option on the table that might be less less work or less something else, I would put it out there and I would say, and I stopped caring about who it was, you know, there, it, it didn't matter. 
one of the things that I learned is that as women, we often defer to men in meetings. And I'm sure you've talked about this on your podcast as well. We used to map out meetings it's, uh, where we would draw lines to who was speaking and who was speaking to who. And it was very enlightening that often there would be a male presence that everything went back to. And so I combine that with people awareness of people pleasing. I started to disagree a little bit more and not be so worried about how I would be perceived. What effect did that have on your relationships then? Very little, in fact. Something that I remind myself of all the time is that we project a lot on what we think people are thinking and how we think they're responding in a situation. And it actually has the opposite effect. People start to feel like what we're talking about, the downsides of people pleasing. They start to feel more confident in you and you start to feel more confident in yourself. And it's it's kind of becomes a, a good cycle, like a very positive thing. And, you know, I'd walk out of the meeting and I'd be like, damn, look at me. Like, you know, I didn't find it had uh, a negative. I think it just, it was positive right across the board. That's really interesting because I think so many people think like, oh, if I'm going to say something and it's really speak my mind, this is going to be a career limiting move for me. And what are other people going to think? And I feel like, you know, it's taking such a risk to speak out, especially when you first get started with it. Was that something that you worried about at all? A little bit. You know, I had to, I, you have to get used to being uncomfortable and stretching yourself, especially if you're a person who's always been a yes person. My default has always been yes in my life. You know, I've been the person when somebody says, do you want to do this? Yeah, let's do it. And then later kind of regret the spontaneous yes. And mm -hmm. so starting to say no, which is where I got the course name, Disappoint More People for my email program, because I had to kind of reframe people pleasing as being okay, disappointing more people. And it was kind of a fun play on that. And, and then it would just be, I, I would have this little thing in my head where I'd be okay, like, hey, I'm going to see who I could disappoint today. <laughs> but along the way, I was becoming more comfortable with who I am and, and having more integrity in my work. That's so great. Being What's nice. the high cost of, of being nice? You know, you turned me on recently to the book um, called Not Nice. And so I'm only about halfway through it, but it is amazing. It's already totally rocked my world about thinking that the opposite of nice is not mean. It's actually a more like kindness. And so we can we can still be warm, lovely, happy, supportive people. But that doesn't necessarily have to include nice. Right. I am. Um, I just finished Gabor Mate's book on the myth of normal. And he talks about people pleasing and the cost on people's health of being nice. And in women, there are a lot more physical illnesses. So there's a high cost that is beyond just how we show up at work and how people perceive us. Our actual physical health is directly tied to people pleasing and illnesses can show up in our bodies. One of them, which is interesting because I'm a melan, I had melanoma and that's one that he specifically highlights that people pleasers have a higher incident of, which I don't even know how they do those studies, but that was 
mind-blowing for me because I've had melanoma and and I was a lot nicer when I had melanoma. <laughs> I think I'm still very kind. But so there's a physical cost. And I think along with like just keeping that in mind that if you are a people pleaser, there are costs. It, there are costs with group think, there's costs with to your organization, there's costs to your own integrity, and there's costs to your health. It's a negative thing being a people pleaser. And that's why I think we need to learn to be able to increase our level of discomfort and be, and that it takes practice and saying no is a great way to align with what's true for you and what your values are and, and learning to speak your truth. And you already mentioned the kindness aspect to this, but I think when we are learning to say no and disappoint more people, we can do that with compassion and kindness. I have found that it also, that it's created more curiosity for me. If I don't just buy in right away and I'm, I'm de deciding whether I want to speak up or not, I've noticed that it makes me want to ask more questions of the other person. And I feel like that's really opened up my conversations rather than shutting them down. Sometimes we think of boundaries as these brick walls that we put up, but they're really not. And they're, you know, I, I like to call them movable fences instead, because it's just I'm deciding where I want to put that fence in any given moment. And that can really change. Yeah. Yeah. I like that analogy of a, of a fence rather than a wall. So. What could help us stay on track when we go out and try to say no? How do we make sure that we don't like lose our nerve when, you know, when we're in the moment and all of a sudden, you know, this is our time to speak of. And, you know, I think I might, I might, you know, want to back off and try an, again another day. What are some things that will help us to, to kind of um, stick that, that intention that we have? Well, the first thing that I recommend is having an accountability partner. So when I first got my assessment back and had my big aha moment, there was another woman in my cohort who actually got the same results. And her and I had a lot of conversations around this. And then we just agreed that we would both be working on this in our separate workplace situations. And we would call each other when we knew we were going to be faced with a situation that we would in the past have had a hard time saying no to or putting up a boundary or just even being quiet, you know, just even not speaking up. And so before that meeting, she would call me. She worked in healthcare and there was a lot of stuff going on in the hospital she worked in. And she would say, I'm, you know, I'm meeting with the CEO and he wants to report on this. And I, I want to push back on the employee engagement survey, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just afraid what he's going to say. And she and we would talk and then she would call me after and let me know how she did. And just having that conversation before and after was really, really helpful for her and for me, because we were both learning from each other and and what worked. And also her victories became uh, victories for me because then I had less fear. And I mm -hmm. think the other thing I would say here is to be okay with physical cues that a lot of us have when we're uncomfortable. So sometimes when you're stretching yourself or you're speaking up at something, you can flush. Your voice can be a little quivery. 
are high, squeaky. You can even get cheery. And I first of all want to say those things diminish as you get comfortable saying no and working through things. But initially, you just have to almost just suck it up and say, okay, I might go really red when I suddenly for the first time in this team meeting speak up and offer an alternative or disagree with the rest of the team. And that's okay. It's okay. It's going to feel worse for me than it is for other people. And someone might even comment on it. And that's okay. What my goal is here is to be, build my confidence. And that means I have to be uncomfortable initially. Yeah. In those first few times, they're probably just going to go a little rocky and that's okay. You're going to live through it. And it's building the skill and we have to start somewhere, right? Exactly. That's really great because I think that just getting out and starting can be really helpful when we want to try to, you know, start to speak our minds. So let's put psychology on our side and think about how we can work with gender socialization to say no in a way that makes it feel easy. So the first thing that we want to incorporate is to think about the team or the greater group that you're serving. So it's going to help your case if we phrase what we're saying in terms of who we're saying yes to and the team that we're supporting by not doing this thing. So that way it's not coming out as self-centered. It's coming out as, hey, I'm looking out for everybody here. So let's say somebody comes to you with an invitation to join a cross-functional team. So first, let's start with an answer that you might hear more frequently. So often somebody might say, no, sorry, I don't have time to work on that project. I'm too busy. How's that, how does that answer feel to you, Sandy? Well, it's everybody's busy. That's my first thought. I was like, yes, yeah, and everyone's busy. That's, that's how that feels to me. <laughs> I feel like you can be really open to argument with that one because like you said, everybody's busy. And that used to be my reaction to that too. Of like, And I'm not busy, you know, and I kind of would start to want to compete with them a little bit about who's the busiest. Did you want to check out my whiteboard? So think about this answer instead. Oh, I wish I could. What an interesting opportunity. But I'm fully booked with my work on the X project. The team's really excited about the impact that this is going to have for the company when we launch this new feature and we're working really hard to reach our deadline. What about Parikh for this one? So you see how that kept the focus on the team and my work with the team and how the important the project was for the company. And I also kept it really vague about whether, you know, what we were doing, how much time we were spending and all of that, because it, that just opens you up for argument. And so, and then I redirected into uh, another resource. And I think that's really helpful um, when you have somebody else that you can offer that, which isn't always the case, but having some kind of idea for them can really help send them in another direction. So also, okay, so here's another situation. What about a boss? What about the time when your boss asks you to take on a new project that's exciting and like a real honor, but you are already maxed out? So you want to say yes to that something, but you also know that all the things that you're already committed to are going to suffer. So this is really getting into the critical factor here because it's really hard to say no to our boss, especially for a, a choice project. So I always like to start with buying myself some time. Sure, let me look at my calendar and let me get back to you. Let me see what I can do. Because that gives me some time to think about my response and I can craft it better. Because if I have to think on the fly, I'm not going to do as good of a job. And I, I am much more likely, I'm 10 times more likely to say yes if I'm responding in the moment. So 
then I'm going to take a look at my workload and see what I might be able to delay. So I'm going to come back to the boss with a plan. So maybe I could delegate to someone or maybe I could drop something altogether, but I'm going to come back to my manager with something like this. I'm really excited about this opportunity. And I think I bring valuable expertise to this team with my LMNO skills. And I'm already maxed out with these three projects. So here's what I propose we can shift around so I can take on this new project. And then I'm going to lay out my plan and ask for their thoughts. How does this plan work for you in your view? Am I getting my priorities right? And it, because it's up to you to think through the alternatives instead of just saying no or what do you want me to prioritize? I find a lot of times the boss will say, if you say, well, what, what can I take off my plate? They'll say nothing. And you know, they, they want you to do it all. They've asked you to do it all and they want you to do it all. And so I think it's up for us to really think through what are your imperatives? What do you think are really important for the company? What are you trying to accomplish? And, and then at the end of the day, we have to think about if this project's worth the extra hours, given what that's going to do to your health and your relationships and your ability to re rejuvenate and recover. So these are trade-offs that we need to go into mindfully because we're making these trade-offs whether we think so, think about them or not. These trade-offs are always happening. And we can prevent ourselves from getting burnt out if we're thinking through things like, you know, really thinking things through up front. And then if it's a really juicy project, we might go home and, you know, do some negotiating with our spouse or with our family members and, you know, get their support that I'm going to be a little bit busy for the next few months. And this is this is the benefit to everybody for this. And if you get, you know, if you get support, you might decide that you do want to take on something extra. But you see how this is like much more of a negotiation rather than, you know, just saying yes to something that you're maybe not even so excited about or or you're not excited about the ramifications. So when you were speaking there, I just had this thought, you're going to disappoint someone in these scenarios. You're going to be disappointed. Your family might be disappointed or the person inviting you to take on the project is going to be disappointed. So in a way, you you need to decide who you want to disappoint on in each of these places. And there might be times like the trade-off could be you're disappointed because this is a juicy project, but you realize that this bank account over here is already depleted. And if you said yes, that might put that one in a, a deficit, you know? So I, I really like that last, that analogy there. We don't have, you know, infinite resources. So in a world where we have to decide on how much capacity we have, um, we do have to learn to manage disappointing people. I love that you're bringing up disappointing ourselves too, because often that's one that doesn't get really much consideration and we're you know, trying to be everything to everyone else, but not necessarily to ourselves. And, you know, taking a moment to think about how am I going to feel? What is my future self going to thank me for in this yeah. situation? That's a question I ask myself a lot. And it can really change what you do in any situation. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. So this has been a great discussion. And thank you so much, Sandy, for coming in and joining me on this one. I always like to leave our listeners with three shifts that they can start with and that they can implement today. And you've been so kind to, to bring us the three shifts 
today. What, what are those for us? Okay, so the first one I think is to start thinking about who could be your accountability partner. So you might have a formal accountability partner with a coach, or it could be a colleague or uh, someone else in your life who you feel comfortable with talking about your desire to increase in your ability to say no. And so think about that. The next thing would be to set expectations up front. So my husband actually wrote a book on managing expectations called What Do You Expect? It's not a plug for his book, but we talk a lot about expectations in our, both of us in our work. So you can try this in your next meeting. You know, we've all been in meetings where we go in and we know that we only have an hour or we don't, we have something else we need to get done and the meeting goes on. An easy way to um, make a little shift is just to state that as an expectation right off the top. When you sit down, just say, I only have 45 minutes and we're on the clock now. So you've set that expectation. And as a good way to just build a little muscle there on expectations. But whenever you can set expectations up front, especially as a people pleaser, it will help you down the road because you won't have to then disappoint someone. You've already given them a little disappointment off the top (laughs) in a sense, (laughs) but one that's quite manageable. And the third thing is, I mentioned earlier, is just practice being uncomfortable and seeing how you can use kindness when you're saying no to something small and just try that at home first. But just realize it's going to be uncomfortable. All growth is uncomfortable and it's a muscle you're building. And you can also be kind when you're saying no, you don't have to be harsh. And also, I just want to say sometimes when you're starting out with something, you know, the pendulum swings a little bit and then it comes back to the middle. So if you do, in a sense, err on that, just blurting out no at first, that's okay. Be kind to yourself as well. So there, I think I gave you four. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes, be gracious with yourself with the pendulum swing because <laughs> that's how we find our sweet spot is to be able to try the outer edges and it's all right. So do you have one thing that comes to mind that you would like to stop doing? Put that in the comments for us if you're watching this on YouTube. You might inspire others to do the same. I've put together a list of psychological tricks that will allow you to keep the door open for next time instead of closing it when you go to disappoint people or when you're saying no. So click on the link below to download Empowerment Etiquette, 10 Psychological Tricks for Saying No with Grace. And I've also included the link to Sandy's Disappoint More People program in the show notes. And you'll find that at disappointmorepeople.ca. You'll definitely want to get a copy of that. Her newsletter is also one of my favorites. I make time to read it every week. She talks about her latest interest, which is supporting women in their third act of life. And I've got my mom and my sister reading her work too. She's inspiring us to age with grace and wisdom. And she also has a few books that she recommends on this topic as well. So three of my favorite books on for people pleasers are recovering people pleasers. One is The Courage to be Disliked. And you're going to put this in the show notes, but even just the title, The Courage to be Disliked, I think summarizes what we've been talking about. I have this one as well on on an audio book and I've listened to it a few times. Um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Bleep. 
by Mark Manson is also a really good, easy read. And he talks a lot about the importance of saying no and learning to say no and to care less about what other people think. The third one is Not Nice. Stop people pleasing, staying silent and feeling guilty and start speaking up, saying no, asking boldly and unapologetically being yourself. It's quite the title. The author is Dr. Aziz Gazipira. Not sure how you pronounce it. A great book. There's a lot in this book. And it's probably if you're going to buy one, start with this one. But Mm -hmm. I do like all three of those books. Yes, all three of them are on audio and really good. I think those are like three great audiobooks. The Not Nice is read by the author and he's really funny too. So I like that one. Thank you, Sandy, for those book recommendations. They are um, really great must read books, I think, for for all women, because I was surprised at how, uh, uncovering how much people pleasing I had because I didn't really think I was much of a people pleaser either. <laughs> and Lo and behold, it's really everywhere in our lives. So this has been such a great show. And thank you so much for joining us, Sandy. So if you want to dive deeper into women's leadership and how to move up in your career, subscribe either on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm on a mission to help more women get into leadership and stay there. And if that's aligned with you, I'd love to have you be part of this community and tune into more episodes on Sister Smart Leadership that will support you in becoming the leader you want to be. If you're ready to fully lean into your feminine leadership and get promoted from director to vice president and beyond, hit that subscribe button so you'll get all the episodes to come. And check out the recommended video here to see how women are rising up without playing by the old rules that built these male-dominated industries and systems. If you're seeing just how differently women lead and how by doing so, women leaders can gain influence, restore balance, and earn the recognition and promotions they deserve, I would love it if you left a rating and review. I read each one and these reviews make it possible for me to reach more women leaders like you so they can rise up as far as they'd like without getting stuck.